0: Rural Broadband Today is a production of Pioneer Utility Resources. Broadband, we need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today.
1: Thank you for listening to Rural Broadband Today where we take a look at the issues and the people shaping the rural broadband story across America. I'm your host, Andy Johns, and this program is produced by Pioneer Utility Resources. Please share this episode with your network and help us tell the rural broadband story. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2022 Rural Electric Cooperative Broadband Benchmarking Report. And I've got two great guests who are joining me. Uh, I'd like to welcome Rudy Tober, who is CMO of uh, NRTC Broadband Solutions. Rudy, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we've got Paul M. Brakeman, who is the vice president of Cooperative Business Solutions for NRECA. Paul, thanks for joining. Hey, Andy, thanks for having me. Well, there's a lot to a lot to dig into here. There's a lot of meat in this report. I was glad to get in there. I think it provides some very good insight about some of the good work being done across the, the country um, from uh, rural electric cooperatives in building out rural broadband. Uh, but, but, Paul, let's start with you. Wh- what is the the purpose? Um, Of a report like this, kind of what's the goal, and how are uh, how is NRECA and NRTC involved in in making it come about? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Andy. So
2: NRTC first published a rural uh, electric co op broadband benchmarking report back in 2020, and over the sort of over the pandemic, the number of co ops who have deployed it has increased, and NRECA we now have about. 210 members who have deployed broadband on some level. And so we, we thought when NR, NRTC came to us and said they wanted to do an update and would we be willing to collaborate, we, we took the opportunity to, to get involved and partner with them on this report. And so this report, this time around, it has uh, 88 members' uh, data. And the goal was really to catalog the results to help co-ops that are in the business going into the business sort of evaluate what the different technologies are in the business cases and um, the success of those deployments. And so it, it was a great collaboration and it was a real honor, honor to be part of that effort that NRTC led.
1: So we'll dive into some of the specifics because you touched on several of the things that I want to talk about there, but uh, Rudy, I'll, let's go to you. So. What are your what are your top line takeaways? What's kind of the headline? What are the things, at least for me, that, you know, I would go to the dinner table and be like, hey, this really interesting report came out and these are the, the top headlines and my family would not be as interested in it as, as I would be. But what are the what are the big takeaways or top line things uh, from you, Rudy, from from this report?
0: You know I, I would say, and and I've been at this a long time working with electric cooperatives and 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 working on broadband uh, deployment and and I would say the top to- takeaway for me is that these projects are successful. I mean there was a time uh, you know years ago when I would meet with cooperatives and they would say,, uh, you know, this was before there were two hundred deployments, when there were you know only a handful of deployments, and folks would say, hey, how do we know this is going to work? It's a big financial investment. How do we know people will buy internet services from an electric cooperative? How do we know what the take rate's going to be? How do we know that we'll be able to pay back all of the money that we're borrowing? And I think what this report does, and the one that we started with, as Paul mentioned back in 2020, really verifies that these projects are successful. you know, take rates above 50% after a couple of years. Um, uh, internal rates of return of 9% on average for the 88 cooperatives that uh, participated in this project. So you know it's really heartwarming for me to see this uh, because again, there was a time when cooperatives were very skeptical and very nervous about doing this and i think this report and and the fact that it covers the whole country and it covers many many participants just proves that this has been a good thing to do and it's been very successful on a nationwide basis
1: outstanding and there's a lot of things in there that that we'll unpack as as we're talking later paul what what, what were the big the headlines for you what was the the takeaway when you look at this report is so just when i read some of the results and some of the data um some things that
2: stand out, which were obvious, and we'll talk about those, is sort of the the evolution of technology of where we where we were two or three years ago and where we're headed now in over the next forty eight months and and but something that really stood out to me was uh, and I knew this I, I knew this was going to be an issue and uh, I don't want to downplay the fact that workforce developments are a challenge in right now and in, in these models right so staffing. And uh, members that go into the broadband business use all kinds of mixed staffing models, and uh, there's no right way to do it. But what we saw from the report is that you know outsourcing is hugely important, and partnering is hugely important on the resource side. When you talk about the business of broadband versus the traditional... Electric supply business, uh, which our members have done for over 75 years, uh, it's it's a different, it's a game changer, and the right folks to operate those networks are are really different than the traditional folks that have operated the electric electricity systems, and so there are some difficulties in terms of materials procurement and hiring the right folks, and the report highlighted that good or bad it's important that we acknowledge that there are challenges in in the, in this business uh and they're different than the traditional uh the business that we have been in and I think I, so. yeah
1: well, and, 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 and when I, you I'd say be, let, let's define that term you said mixed staff um models you're talking about contractors versus yeah, in-house yeah. or or partnering with other co-ops or i mean yes. it could be a, a number of things
2: that Right. The answer to that question, Andy, is yes. So okay. what, we, what we saw from the data, from and I, I know it from talking with some of the members, but the report really highlighted it, is that um, staffing levels will, will vary depending on how big your system is, and some folks will outsource uh, on the IT side the help desk functions and cybersecurity functions and... Partnering with with different vendors to help you to help find the right workforce that's going to support your your network build out, and there's no right one model, and so it's 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 what co ops do. You know what we hear it a lot. You've 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 talked to one co op and you've talked to one co op, right? And it, it's the same with these broadband build outs. Um, you know the difficult issues tend to be a you know as i mentioned reporting and compliance and materials procurement and then the and then the hiring piece and in order to solve those challenges we've we've seen all kinds of different partnerships that are successful and some co-ops just just increasing their staff and training their some training their existing staff
1: i think so thanks for thanks for um you know explaining that one and, and kind of defining what you've seen there was there you were saying something else i think before uh, I cut you off. Did you want to go back there or um... no,
2: no? I was in one. One of the pieces that stood out a little bit is that, and in Washington, NRC NRECA spends a lot of time um, on the Hill and at the agencies talking about broadband and rural broadband and the initiative and how do we get how do we get funding from Washington and at the state level to the members who are deploying broadband. And so it was interesting to see the data that. Ninety-two percent of our eighty-eight respondents had received at least one federal or state grant, and wow. sixty over sixty percent of those had received uh, two or more grants. And so, it's nice to see and nice to hear about money flowing. And there's different levels, but you know, we're highlighting the work you know from the, all this funding that's going to be coming from the uh, in, uh, bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill. And We've got. You know, sixty-two billion dollars from related to that funding effort, and forty-two billion that's going to flow through the states. And so, this is the data we saw from this report is is aligned with um, hopefully what's going to happen over the next thirty-six or forty-eight months, coming out of Washington and and, and through the states. So, it was successful deployments um, are tied to successful financing and funding models.
1: It's gonna be a very interesting uh next few months um as as th- that starts to that starts to come out. Uh Paul, I'd like to come right back to you because one of the things I don't know that it was a surprise, but I think it's worth noting. Um, so the the motivations uh to invest in broadband from uh the respondents to the survey, and they were asked as a one being least important and a five being most important, um, with an average of four point seven, the um community service slash economic development was the number one motivation for electric co-ops to get into broadband and then um the second one was to strengthen uh, the electric business things like smart grid that got an average of 4.0 um, but then the revenue expansion and diversification got a 3.5 out of 5 which is still a high score but it's not as high as i would have thought and i'm not i'm not surprised that just knowing electric co-ops that you know, the motivation to serve members and serve their communities was, was the number one. But I am a little surprised at the how different it is because you hear a lot of folks talk about needing to diversify um, revenue and that sort of thing. So did of that surprise you or particularly that the revenue diversification was a, a lower motivating factor? Uh,
2: so I, I've said this in other places. Um, co-op's first Went into the electricity business 75 years ago not because they were in love with the commodity of electricity it's because they the challenges associated with getting those investor-owned utilities to serve rural america and so here we are again right uh the the commodity here is broadband and it's a way to serve our communities and the need is addressing what's needed in those local Communities and that sort of economic, uh, the 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 economic push and the 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 business of broadband are very closely related. And so, what what we've seen and this report really highlighted that is that the the revenue diversification, while important certainly because you want to you want to leverage and and hedge your investments, um, the really the things we do for our communities is based on helping our communities not because we love the business of broadband although it's exciting um but it could be anything in terms of serving and we and co-ops serve their communities in many ways not just broadband but economic there's all kinds of economic um pieces associated with how we how we are serving whether it's um building out the the deployment on the broadband side or uh, partnering with your local community to help your schools, it could be all kinds of things. And so I I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, Andy, you know, it it gives me comfort knowing that we are doing the right thing. Uh, We're mission driven organizations. And uh, that held true with with the data. I mean, Rudy, I think you would probably agree here.
0: Yeah, I I think, Paul, that was a great answer. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, with cooperatives directly working on their feasibility studies, you know, working with them to try to figure out, is this going to work, meeting with their boards, etc.? And the motivation was always kind of coming coming up from the bottom. In other words, their board members were saying, hey, we have a problem in rural areas. We just can't get good broadband service. And 80 years ago, cooperatives came together and they solved this problem uh, related to electricity. And and now the question is, can we find a way to solve this problem Uh, when it comes to broadband service, smart grid and all of the other things that are coming along? And and for me, it was just a pleasure to see cooperatives come together and say, you know what, we're going to venture into these things. We're not going into these businesses necessarily because we think we're going to make money at it, but we uh, we are going into these businesses or or we're going to deliver broadband because we believe it's going to help our community. It's going to allow people to stay in our area. It's going to attract businesses, jobs, et cetera. And so, you know, just kind of agreeing with everything that you're saying that that the motivation for cooperatives isn't really a financial one. It's one of helping their communities.
2: Yeah. And I to your point, Rudy, I, th- I think the the emergence of what we call the smart grid and other IT related services, it certainly provides a great opportunity for for the industries to collaborate and to partner for new new services and in co-ops case, even in, in new revenue. But that's Certainly not always the driver for, for our members. It's it's um, it's 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 that goes back to the mission to help our communities.
1: I think that's that's tied to the next point that that I had seen looking through it. If I'm reading this right, Rudy, eighty um, percent of the areas surveyed um, were growing in jobs and population, and that kind of. Goes against what what you hear a lot of time, a lot of doom and gloom about rural America and you know population and jobs and all that. So um, you know, can can you tell from there? Number one, am I reading that right? And then number two, were a lot of these areas growing already, um, or uh, we got kind of a causation correlation thing there, or does the data suggest that broadband is the driving factor with that? Um, what th- that was a an, an exciting number for me to have eighty percent of these areas growing. Uh, So unpack that for us a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I, and I think the question, the specific answer there, the 80% was, so the question was, did cooperatives in building these projects see an increase in population? businesses or jobs, you know, any any of the three. And I think when you look at this data, if you go out to the five year window and there are now a number of broadband projects that have been in business for five years, fully 80% of those cooperatives saw at least one of the three. And in most cases, many saw more than one of the three. So um, fundamentally, to answer your question, the answer is yes, this is having a positive impact on these communities just just like they were hoping would happen and and folks are seeing people move back in i mean i again you know i go back down memory lane i remember uh being in meetings where people would say you know our cooperative is actually dying i mean one of the first projects we built in missouri which was probably now eight or ten years ago they said you know what people are moving out of our area because they can't get good broadband service um, businesses won't move into the community because they say, you know what, without a good internet infrastructure, we're just not going to move that plant or that office or that business into the community. And then people were literally saying, hey, you know, I'm starting to work from home. I need an internet connection. I'm communicating with my office on a regular basis. And I, and I can't just live in a community where my internet service is faulty or doesn't work. Um, So though, you know, that one project that I'm thinking of, in fact, uh, I mean, that began to reverse after a few years and uh, the nearest community, the nearest city that folks lived in, the cooperative, when, when, when we started there, they originally said, you know, the average person lives on about 80 acres in our cooperative. So this is a very rural area and people were moving out. And then after the broadband network was built and they were delivering, you know, uh, super fast, symmetrical, high speeds, and and everything that people were looking for. They literally said people were moving out of the nearby city when they realized, hey, I can live on ten or twenty acres, and I can get a symmetric, you know, symmetrical gigabit internet connection at my home, and so now I can have the best best of both worlds. I can live in a rural area, but I can have all of the modern conveniences. Of an advanced broadband network, so um, yeah. To answer your question, we are seeing that across the country.
1: So yeah, that's, to the, to,
2: oh, Go ahead, Paul. Did you want? Yeah, to no, that? no, That that's a great that's a great point. And so, Andy, when we, we looked at the data, is um, two things about it, right? So the economic impact. The data indicates that it's significant, right? You're talking about an increase, an increase in 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 electric meters increase in population new businesses increase in in home building and plant communities and uh an increase in jobs what we saw over the and i I actually wrote a piece for our eca early on in the pandemic that was called i forget it was so sort of really broadband as an essential utility and how the the, the pandemic working from home and the need for speed all these things really highlighted that and the data from this report really uh highlights that and not only it, it's sort of all it, it also it also um solidifies some work that nreca did a couple few years ago in terms of broadband it was the economic loss of economic value to these communities that that don't have broadband and so we're seeing the flip side of that and it really it really solidified what we, what we thought we knew uh that that connected communities are generally healthy communities
1: now we let off the call talking about you know the top line takeaway being that a lot of these build outs are successful um, I know, Rudy, you've been involved in a lot of feasibility studies, um, and RTC does uh, a ton of those. Most of the t- the needed take rates that I've seen from working with our clients from those feasibility studies, it's it's like 40 or 45% is kind of the way that those, those seem to be built. What this survey indicates is that um, I, I, for those who have been doing it at least two years, um, it's a it's a fifty percent or a little more than fifty percent uh, take rate uh, for for people signing up for service and a nine percent rate of return, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, that's better than most folks expected from you know from what I've talked to and from what I've heard. Um, and I know that that varies with a lot of the folks that we work with. They may they may get a really high take rate in an area without any competition, and then an area with a lot of competition, it's going to be lower. Do you think? Um, that take rate and that rate of return do you think that holds up as as build outs continue
0: yeah and I, and I think you know you you made the point where um it does vary by area right sure. but I think the, the the great news is that you pointed out that um you know take rates are very strong right on average again this is 88 cooperatives around the country if after uh, two years a 52 percent take rate which is very strong and very solid. And like I say, yeah. I go back to a time when people would sit in meetings and say, how can we, you know, we see your feasibility study and you're saying, you know, we're gonna put a 40% take rate in here. How can we know that people will really buy broadband from us? And and what if our take rate is 10% or 20%? So I think the good news uh, in, in this survey is that in 88 cooperatives, um, you know, we see take rates much higher. Right, than than those initial projections. And, and I would also throw in that, you know, we NRTC, when we do a feasibility study, we want to be a little bit on the conservative side, right? Because sure. nobody's unhappy when their take rate comes in higher than we projected. But but the 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 reverse the reverse might be true if it came in lower. So again, great news, really solid take rates. Um, but then to your point, I think the service area itself, the the electric Footprint where the cooperative is building the broadband network makes a difference. Makes a difference, right? More competition would lead to a more challenging environment, and that's really why uh, we would recommend doing a feasibility study because you've got to look at all of those factors. So um, you, you uh, we said it here earlier. If you've seen one cooperative, you've seen one cooperative. It's very important for any cooperative to look at the makeup of their service area and if they have a portion of the service area where there's already two or three uh intens- you know entrenched uh competitors uh, maybe that take rate in that area is going to be a little bit lower or maybe they don't want to build that area whatever you know they need to make those decisions but a good feasibility study will help them and i think the proof is out there that um the cooperative model where you're providing a superior prod, you know, product with fiber to the home, you're providing excellent service and you're pricing it in a fair manner. That formula is a great success formula and has worked well for cooperatives.
1: Yeah, that superior. That's... Oh, go ahead. I was taking us towards technology, which is yeah. uh, a dangerous spot. Go ahead, Paul. No, I, I was I just wanted to add
2: some. Perhaps some color oh, yeah. commentary, sure. sure. you know when I think about when i when I looked at the data and saw these these take rates uh, i was I was happy, right? because that just indicates that co-ops remain uh, trusted partners of the communities. and you know, this is a competitive business, and I, I i I talk about that a lot when we talk about co-ops deploying broadband and doing things like developing revenue estimates can be tricky, and that's especially what you're talking about. A competitive market where co-ops generally lack experience in selling services. Right, we've never had to sell our service, and re- revenue estimates are are built up from from pricing and take rates. And so, when I when I see a fifty percent and higher take rate, uh, it's indicative of the of the work that co-ops have done on the front end to make sure they're getting these estimates and numbers right. Um, and something I was happy to see, because a lot of times you build you build into these feasibility models a, a, a what we call a customer churn rate, right? Which is turnover due to competition. And it, it happens frequently. And we usually, you'd like to see about a, you can expect about a 2% month churn rate, right? Uh, and the data we're seeing is that, as I mentioned, uh, we are the trusted partners in those communities, and we are the the the, the first providers that the members are looking to. And it, but that takes work, right? And so, it, beyond deployment, you have to think about, and the data really confirms this. You have to really think about the, the the marketing considerations and the ongoing operational considerations, and things like legal risks and tax risks and all these all these things. And um, so. I'll, to your, to, rant, to Rudy's point and to Andy, your point that um, 50% seems pretty healthy, I would agree, but it's a, really a testament to to the, the work the co-ops do on the front end and remaining, you know, the trusted partners in those communities.
1: Seeing what I do all day, every day, I do appreciate you bringing up those yeah. marketing considerations. <laughs> so that, that's part of we We always say before before they connect to your service you've got to make a connection with them so you know uh, however that may be communicating building up some of that demand so they're they're ready to go um and you know we've got none of us on here engineers but um rudy had mentioned the um the technology um one of the things that stood out to me um from this report um it, it talks about the majority of the investment is in fiber and there's more uses of XGS Pawn, um, you know, the networks for the multi gig service. Um, how is that different? Um, than then maybe what really, we'll start with you. But how is that different than maybe what you expected? Or what uh, previous surveys had said? Um, and why do you think multi gig ready build outs are, are becoming more and more common?
0: I you know I think my answer there would be and remember I'm a marketing guy not an engineer so I'm giving right. you the kind of the marketing answer but um right. you know fundamentally broadband is a continuously evolving business and the one thing that's been true and I've been in broadband for a very very long time since I got out of college so you know I I worked for the the cable companies in the past the big broadband providers and then and then switched into the cooperative broadband um, and it's always been a speed race, right? So we're always increasing speeds. And one of the surprises that came out for me in the uh, in, in the benchmarking report was that we actually have a number of cooperatives that are offering multi-gig standard packages. So a two megabit, you know, two gigabit, excuse me, symmetrical internet package as standard service. And th- and that surprised even me. Um, And I think it's because um, the demand is out there, right? Businesses are moving into cooperative areas. Um, People are saying, hey, I want the fastest possible speeds. I want the best possible service. And so to your question, I think folks are always upgrading the technology that they're deploying. So we see it in new projects where they're saying, hey, I'm getting ready for multi-gig internet service and then we also see as people are rebuilding maybe an older project or extending into new areas, they're deploying the most uh, current technology. And I think, you know, it will always be that way. There will be a, a race for more speed, a race for better technology. And I think cooperatives, to their credit, are at the forefront of providing the absolute best service that they can come up with. So I think you're seeing new technologies being adopted. I'll also throw in that Um, a good feasibility study, like the ones that we do, you're, you're always anticipating a life span for the equipment that you will be replacing, right? Maybe it's three years, five years, seven years. Um, And so as people replace that equipment uh, in accordance with their financial plan, they're buying the latest version. So I think all those, all those things play a factor.
2: Rudy, as you're on the marketing side, and Andy too, I can say that as a as a telecom and um, energy lawyer, I'm a I'm a very poorly trained and uncertified engineer as well. And so, in terms of uh, XGS-PON technology, it, we've really seen it become this the de facto standard, right, for meeting those multi-gigabit bandwidth needs for the residential business customers and just level set a little bit, Andy, for your for your listeners. XGS-PON it stands for the the ten gigabyte symmetrical passive optical network, right? So it's it's the updated standard for passive optical networks, and it's it's this it's the technology that supports uh, the the ten gigabyte per second uh, symmetrical uh, data transfers, the downstream and upstream, and when we move into the next evolution of, of deployments, this, this has become what co-ops are investing in. And that probably uh, over the next 36 months or more, we could even move into things like 25 G-PON and 50 G-PON and 100 G-PON. If you were to ask me, uh, do we need this kind of speed um, five years ago? I would have said, for what? Are you crazy? Our systems and the technology we're using can't even support it. But this is really aligned with co-ops making long-term investments. Uh, Invest in a robust build-out. And it's consistent with, the decisions we make on the resource side, on, on the electricity side, investing in long-term um, uh, generation investments and distribution investments and transmission investments, um, we we really spare no expense. And the same is is true on the broadband side.
0: Yeah, and I, and I would add, if I can, Andy, um, sure. you know, as we move into kind of the smart grid era, right, with everything that's going on with electric vehicles and. And smart, uh, you know, data monitoring and upgrades on the on the electric side, um, you know, having all of that capacity, having a fiber backbone that has has a, you know a robust capacity to connect all of those smart grid devices to it, you know, it's it's really becoming kind of the name of the game. So it's really moving these cooperatives to the next level as they deploy more and more devices, more and more speed, more and more things connected to their fiber backbone.
1: Sure, and for anybody who's listening who's interested uh, in hearing more about the multi gig kind of the case for multi gig broadband, we did an episode on the Story Connect podcast feed back in November with Matt Daniel uh, from Mountain Telephone in East Kentucky, uh, where he 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 laid it out very very smartly, I think, um, about kind of what what folks are looking at and why multi gig uh, broadband is so important for uh, rural communities. That one's worth um, looking up. Going back to the the report. Um, and Paul, let's let's start with you on this one. Um, when we're looking at pressures or challenges, obstacles uh, ahead, the um, the pressure for labor and material was one that um, was brought by a lot of the folks. That's that's no surprise. Obviously, when there's the kind of funding coming in uh, that there has been, and so many folks getting in, all of a sudden, some of the materials and folks to to work with it um, can be kind of scarce. You mentioned workforce development uh, there at the beginning. But how do you think those pressures for labor and material will shape deployment of fiber on a macro scale and then what is uh, what is nreca and other partners doing um to shape that
2: yeah so so to your point costs are rising right there's price pressure on materials and increased labor costs and the report the data from the report we we saw that Remain true, and the deployment costs are increasing year over year, and that those are real numbers. And so, all of those numbers, though, you know, when for instance, when our NRTC does a feasibility report for for the membership, um, those kind of estimates are built into uh, those studies and the revenue estimates. And but the the pressure we're seeing, and it's not just in broadband; we're seeing it on the electric side too. Uh, the 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 Increase in materials and increase in labor, and then the supply sure. chain, the supply chain shortages. Um, those have to be built into um, your deployment estimates and your planning. And planning, planning, planning is so important. Um, NRECA has a number of resources, and we work hard in, in Washington to, to address some of those um, specific issues. Uh, we recently rolled out. The, the broadband tier to, to address the, the members that have specifically gone into the broadband business. That's our broadband tier of services. We, we have about 91 uh, members now. And so we're, 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 we are beefing up what we are doing and we're, we're working with our, our partners like NRTC on the technology side and to, to partner with them to provide resources and, you know, everything from tax memos and and uh, working with our general counsel's office on le- legal implications and our, our government relations on funding opportunities. You, you know, There's a lot of things available to help the membership. Uh, I, I like to start on the cooperative.com broadband page and, and sort of dig in and then uh, folks that have any questions can always reach out to me directly. And of course, I'm gonna send them straight to Rudy and NRTC, NRTC uh, <laughs> But the, the, the partnerships we have really Andy with, with, our, with our friends in the broadband space uh, and, and the work we're doing here in Washington um, are intended to, to help the members be successful and to recognize that there's challenges associated with, with building broadband. And it's not going to be for every member. You know, I mentioned it earlier, legal implications, tax implications, operational considerations, um, to, to further to the point, workforce, uh considerations it's it, it's it's deep so uh, members should not go about this uh you know quickly and working with nrtc and and folks to understand the the need to have a the right technology plan in place and the right business case in, in place is really important
1: rudy get out your uh your crystal ball for us um how do you see uh labor and material pressures uh shaping things going forward and um, are they are they here to stay for a little while?
0: Yeah, so I think Paul gave a great answer, right? it's It's just kind of the way of the world, right? Prices go up over time. And I think the way you deal with that is, um, you know we talked about feasibility studies and we talked about financial models. And it's very important, you know, I think, that you do a very thorough feasibility study and then you update that model, on a very, you know, very regular basis, because um, prices do change. They sometimes they go up, and sometimes they even go down. And technologies change. And if you if you're doing a very thorough feasibility study, and then you're updating that on a, you know. A uh, six-month basis, a quarterly basis, you, you'll you'll have a much better chance of not getting caught short. And uh, to to Paul's uh, point, you know, I would also recommend work with somebody, work with NRECA, work with someone like NRTC, someone who does this on a day-to-day. You know, week to week, month to month basis, someone who sees prices rising, someone who can help you with materials procurement, because sometimes there are supply chain issues that can affect the price. Sometimes there are contractual issues that can affect the price. Some, you know, folks get their materials, some folks don't get their materials because they don't have the right agreements and the right leverage in place. Um, We obviously try to help folks with that with a full range of services to help. People plan and design and build and operate their broadband networks. But um, to to what Paul just said a minute ago, planning, planning, planning. And then I would add to that update, update that information with people that you can trust that have your best interest uh, at heart and can give you the most current uh, information that you can make decisions from.
1: Well said. Let's uh let's wrap it up with this question and and Rudy we'll go right back to you. You mentioned feasibility uh studies, but uh aside from that, what advice would you have um from somebody who or, or what what advice can you draw from this report um for electric co-ops or or utilities uh more broadly speaking who are either just starting broadband or considering it? What advice would you have for them?
0: Yeah, so my advice would be, in in a sense, I may have just I may have just answered that question, at least in my mind, which is, sure. um, you know, these are big projects, and um, my my advice would be, and, I, and again, I've been in, involved in a lot of them, like from 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 inception to you know now seeing them many years later, and um, my advice would be methodical, right? Do a very thorough feasibility study. Um, ask all of the questions, make sure you have a very dynamic financial model. The other thing I would recommend is now the the, the good news is, and I think our report has proven this, these projects are successful and there is a real track record and there's a real record of data that goes with it. You know, how much does it cost to build an aerial mile an underground mile? What kind of technologies are folks uh, using to deploy this? So, um, literally within every state in the country, and I, you know, I don't think there are any exceptions to that. There's probably a cooperative in your state that has embarked on a broadband project, and I would suggest talk to those folks, go visit those folks, ask them what was hard, what was easy, what are the challenges you're facing, what would you do differently. Um, so you know, it's just being thorough in the research. And, and looking at all of the aspects of this, how will it affect your unique cooperative situation? And the other thing is, and I think, again, our report uh, proves this, is be confident now uh, from all of the proof that's out there that this can be done. Now really just answer the question, what would it look like in my specific situation? And how can I, you know, do everything in my power to make sure it's a success?
1: And I think that's been one of the really cool things to see is is folks reaching out, um, you know, being willing to share that information and, and talk to other folks uh, as well. Paul, what, what advice do you take from this or what advice would you have for um, co-ops and um, I guess mainly the co-ops who are um, looking either just starting broadband or getting into it? So we, I'll just reiterate
2: what we've said over the course of the last uh, 30 minutes or so, Andy. Sure. Um, tread carefully um and do your homework um pick the right partners don't be afraid to fail because you know there there will be failures and challenges uh and recognize that once you start looking into the business of broadband um there's many ways to be successful there's many technology options there's there's partnership models that work you you may decide that deployment is not right for the co-op however uh, we're going to partner in our community and find out a way to bring broadband into uh, our territory. And it, it may be through a partnership. It may be um, owning owning the middle mile. It may be, you know, owning and leasing the middle mile rather. And so there's just various ways to be successful and plan, plan, plan again. I can't uh, overstate that and um, plan again. Right. and uh, the, 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 I'll leave you. I'll leave you with with this, Andy. That when we think about the business of broadband, uh, you need to recognize that this is different from the, our traditional electricity service. We now go from from the meter into the home, and when you go into that doorway, this is a different way of serving. We're now into our consumer members households and you're you're part of that family. And that that is a different business model. It is a different cultural culture. It is an entirely Different way of thinking about um, uh, running the business, and so there's a higher expectation. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really you're you really closer to your consumer than we've we've ever been, and so it's important to take into those take those considerations um, as as part of your, you know, analysis of whether or not whether or not you want to do this, and then um, make sure you're leaning into the partners right cooperative cooperation among cooperatives it's one of our it's one of our principles uh it's never been more important than in the in the broadband space to rudy's point talk to the folks that have done it talk to the folks that have succeeded uh we even have some some members that have went into the broadband business and they've sold it uh it's you know there's just a handful of them but find out why find out what, what 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 was the um the reasons for not going forward um but again, we've got a lot of very successful models, and so it's important to do your homework.
1: Last thing, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but the full report is about 45 or uh, 50 pages. Um, I know when I got to it, it was behind the login at, at cooperative.com. Is that, is that the spot that folks need to get it, or, or can they reach out and um, request it from one of y'all? Or what's the best way if folks want to dive in? Obviously, we couldn't get to all 45 Uh, pages of of data here on this episode um but uh what's the best way or what options do folks have to be able to see the full report
0: so you can this is rudy you can go to you can go to nrtc.coop and uh you can find it there you can download it uh or as you said feel free to reach out yes
2: yeah it's it's available on on nrtc.coop we've also have it available on cooperative.com uh you can also google nrtc nreca benchmarking report and it pops up first first uh top of the search
1: perfect if it's available without being on the login um then we'll go ahead and include a link to the report in the show notes on this episode too so folks can find yeah. it there so perfect well i appreciate it very much the uh, two of you being on there um sharing uh the insights um uh, Rudy, thanks for joining me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Paul, thanks
1: for being on. Hey, Annie. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. They are Rudy Tober, who is CMO of NRTC Broadband Solutions, and Paul Brakeman, who is the Vice President of Cooperative Business Solutions for NRECA. I'm your host, Andy Johns, um, and I have uh, enjoyed speaking with these gentlemen, and we appreciate you listening, and we look forward to talking to you on the next episode.
0: Rural Broadband Today is brought to you by Pioneer Utility Resources. Rural Broadband Today is engineered by Lucas Smith of Lucky Sound Studio.